I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, it's Courtney from LiveWire, and thanks so much for listening to our podcast. We love being able to offer this free service to our listeners, and in order to offset that cost, we're hoping that you might be willing to donate whatever you can on our website at livewireradio.org. Because yes, we've heard the saying that the best things in life are free, but we've also heard that other one. There's no such thing as a free podcast. Enjoy the show. This is the band you were telling me about? No. Well, then who are they? Oh, the horse band? Yes. Yeah, they're called Girls Love Horses. Genre? Equestrian. Look? Uh, they dress in show jumping outfits and wear riding helmets with flames on them. Sound? Little garage, little punk. Cool. Disgusting. Hey, how about that one band you were telling me about? The Nasty Jackies? Yeah. They're, they're from Rhode Island, and they all dress as Jackie Kennedy Onassis. Uh. And, Various stages of her life. Like the drummer, she wears the Yves Saint Laurent Nehru jacket from the 1961 Guadalcanal speech. I feel it. <laughs> the singer wears the pink suit. Obvi. Well, the bassist wears the Cassini inaugural gown. I was wondering who would be wearing that. Mm-hmm. The lead guitarist is dressed as Aristotle Onassis's boat. <sighs> Tote. Genre? I'd put them on a highway of jangly guitar pop if it got married at prog rock. They're like if R.E.M. and Yes had twins called Blur and Genesis. But then Blur eats Genesis. Wait, wait. I can hear him. In my head. Exactly. Yeah. So this madman band... Oh, madman. One guy. Tell me. His name's Don Draper. Spelled like Dr. Dre. But with a purr at the end. But with two Ps, because he's a rapper. Genre? White collar, 1960s gangster rap. Songs? I've only heard a few. Um, presentation assassination and cold-ass bets. Cold-ass bets? Yeah. That Betty Draper is hella cold. She's really mean. Yeah. She's a mean mom. Totally. Have you heard the mean moms? Spill. They're Alterna Polka electronic steel drum. They're like if you took vintage pixies and then moved them to rural Germany and they made friends with a grandma with an organ... And then all of them went to Jamaica for lunch. 
What's the look? Famous mean moms. Joan Crawford on lead vocals. Duh. On bass is Carrie's mom from Carrie. Yeah. On the organ is Mama Bates from Psycho. Right. The alien queen from Aliens is on accordion, while Mary Tyler Moore from Ordinary People is on steel drums. That's kind of rad. Isn't it, though? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, who are we listening to now? Oh, this is Steely Man, the all-Superman-themed Steely Dan cover band. Sound like Steely Dan songs. They're not supposed to. Why not? Because it's like a Steely Dan cover band in Bizarro World, which means it's supposed to sound like the opposite of Steely Dan. Of course. I knew that. I just didn't factor it in. That's why no one is dressed as Superman, Lois Lane, Lex Luthor, or Jimmy Olsen. I was just thinking that if they dressed as Superman characters, I'd be like so pedestrian. Totes. Kind of digging how they look in their... uh... Wearing their street clothes. Yeah, but you never know what's underneath. What is underneath? Well, it's the opposite of the opposite of Steely Dan's one hat opposite. It's. It's. From the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, and now 25% beardier. It's Livewire! And now it's the host of Livewire, former member of the most honestly named band in Portland, the Baristas, Courtney Hameister! Welcome to the show, everybody. We're coming to you again from the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater in the Alberta district of Portland, Oregon. And we have uh, another amazing show for you tonight. We've got another person from one of our favorite series ever. If you haven't seen the Mortified series, you must. Tynan DeLong is going to be with us tonight, and he's going to read from his totally fat with a PH, humiliating high school journals. And we're going to hear some things about Apple tonight that may make you rethink your iPhone 4 purchase even more than the no reception problem. (laughs) Master storyteller Mike Daisy is here with a piece of his one-man show, The Agony and the Ecstasy of Steve Jobs. And our musical guest tonight uh, was part of possibly the coolest riot girl band ever, Sleater Kinney, and she is about to release her first solo CD, 1,000 Years, Corin Tucker is with us tonight. But first, I'd love you to meet the members of Faces for Radio Theater, Mr. Tyler Hughes. Ted Douglas is with us tonight. The beautiful Laura Faye Smith. The stunning siren of sound, Pat Janowski. And as usual, poet Scott Poole, the author of Hiding from Salesmen, will be in our audience. Tonight, he's going to write for the entire hour. He's going to watch the show, write a poem that encompasses everything that we've learned and read at the end of the show. Thanks, Scott. And we can't do any of it without our amazing house band. Please welcome Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Chops. Fog hat meets the pogues or something. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks, Ralph. So we do. We have Mike Daisy on the show later, and I am I'm stealing myself because I just I'm worried that he's going to say something about my MacBook Pro and all the kittens who were killed to make it. 
And I just, I'm terrified because my friends call my computer my heart-lung machine, and it's just constantly attached to me in some way. I bring it pretty much everywhere I go because I have rehearsals and meetings everywhere because I am very busy and important. Not, not, not really, actually. I'm just neurotic. And I'm a, and I'm a freelance writer. And when you do that, there, this thing happens where your work, it's called work week creep. And it happens so that there really isn't a moment when you're home that you're not either looking at your computer or thinking that you should be. And so my face is in a, in a computer for way more of the day than it's not. And I really feel like I've paid the price for that. I don't know if you've read, but uh, author Nicholas Carr talks a lot about how the internet is this medium that's based on interruption, and it's actually changed the way we think. It's changed the way our brains work. So when we're reading a book, our brains actually start to get antsy because there's nowhere but the words to go. Like, there's no email to check, and there's, you can't click on one of the words and see a cat playing piano, right? <laughs> Why? There's no, where are the cats playing piano, okay? <laughs> or falling off of things. I don't understand. And I actually, it really, I got a great illustration of it last night. I had this opportunity. Uh, I was lucky enough to be able to go see Rufus Wainwright open for the Time-Based Art Festival. And he was singing some Berlioz, and it was stunning music. It was all in French. But I just don't understand French, so it might as well have not had any words. And so I started to, to get a little antsy, and then suddenly... I started opening all these other windows in my mind, right? Like my questions for tonight and, and who I was going to talk to. And, um, and then I realized at that point that somehow with all this multitasking that I'd been doing that I'd lost the ability to single task. You know, I had this extraordinary window in front of me in this beautiful hall, right, with this stunning man in this really sassy velvet jacket. And this gorgeous sound was coming out of him and I was essentially missing it. You know, because my, my, brain's not, my brain's not functioning in the way that it used to. So maybe Mike Daisy will say something that'll make me ditch my apple forever. Although I doubt it, because like Holly Hunter in Raising Arizona, I love it so much. I do, hi, I do. Now go in there and you get me an iPhone. Um, <laughs> so, but I'm going to try, I'm going to try to love it slightly less and maybe go out there and, and see what's happening in this real world that everyone's been telling me all about. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that's in the real world that, that everyone's been telling me about is, uh, the Corin Tucker band now. Uh, if you are a Northwest native, there's no question you've heard of Corin Tucker's last band, Sleater Kinney. It was a band that legends are made of. And her driving guitar and screaming vocals were a big part of why. And now, four years after that band's indefinite hiatus began, Corin Tucker is about to release her own solo record. And even though it has some intimate moments, it's clear that our favorite screamer is still here. Please welcome the Corin Tucker Band to Livewire.
Tucker Band. Did you want to introduce the rest of your band? I would love to. On bass guitar, Mr. Mike Clark. On drums, Ms. Sarah Lund. On guitar and keyboards, Mr. Seth Lorenzi. And tonight on backing vocals and percussion, Ms. Juliana Bright. to just ask you about, you, you had to assemble a band for this. And when you're assembling a band, um, is it sort of like a relationship? You've been in a band before. You know how when you're in a relationship, you then, you pretty much look for the things that you didn't get from the person before, sometimes the opposite of the person before. Um, so what were, what were some of your thoughts when you were assembling this band? Um, I think keyboards. <laughs> I guess that maybe that's not in every relationship, but... Mm -hmm. <laughs> You were just thinking keyboards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, Seth was the first person that I, I started working with. Um, he played in, we played in Blue Giant together. And then he also um, has a wonderful band with Juliana called the Golden Bears. And the, he has his own recording studio. So a little me thinking when we were doing our, our Blue Giant project together, we, you know, I brought some songs in for that. And Seth would just kind of step in and he would arrange things. He'd add, oh, what if we had this part, you know, this bass part here, or the drums doing this? And I was like, hmm, I think I could, I think we could work together, do something together. So it kind of evolved from there. <clears throat> the other thing is that Seth and I are both parents. So, you know, we had that thing in common where we could have a common schedule, mm -hmm. you know, daytime versus all hours of the night mm -hmm. <laughs> for most musicians. So mm -hmm. that also helped out things a lot. Yeah. Um, and I understand that some of the songs uh, on this record were created for the Twilight soundtrack, yes. but they didn't, they didn't actually make it into the movie. No. <laughs> um, would you say that you're uh, more of like a Team Edward person or a Team Jacob person? Edward. <laughs> team really? Edward. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come Are you on. <laughs> Give it up for Edward. It's, you know. Are you a fan of the books? I am. I'm a big fan of the books. I, I love the romance, you know, and, and, it's just, it's a, it has a little bit of Jane Austen to it, you know? And it's, it's, it's also just centered on this, this teen girl and all of her hopes and dreams and aspirations. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's when I started as a writer. I was a teenager, practically, when I started writing music, you know? And so it, um, it really kind of jogged my, my memory of starting out as a writer and feeling just this, all this passionate desire as a teenager that you want to get out into the world. And so writing is a great way to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot of themes from the, the film, these themes of monsters and demons in the record itself. Why do you think there's this current fascination with that? I don't know. The big questions of morality, are we doing the right thing? And, you know, should I eat other people? It's <laughs> <laughs> no a really good question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And speaking of being a mother and teaching your child whether or not you should eat other people, um, <laughs> just just one last question: um, Did you choose your bass player based on his sassiness? I did. Did you want to Did you want to talk about that at all, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Mike was, yeah. was once voted the sassiest boy in America by a sassy by magazine. Sassy Magazine. Yeah, sassiest. So let's hear it for Mike Clark. 
Um, and well done on, your, on choosing your bass player. And our radio audience won't ever see this, but uh, Corin is wearing a stunning gown tonight. Uh, beautiful blue uh, chiffon gown with sparkles. It's lovely, and I just wanted our radio audience to know that. Um, thank you so much for joining us, and you're going to come back later and sing another song. Yes, definitely. The Corin Tucker Band, thank everybody. You. For more information on Corin's record, visit CorinTuckerBand.com. You're listening to Live Wire Radio with music, conversation, and comedy. We're like an entertainment variety pack, but without any of the crappy flavors everyone leaves for last. Coming up, Mortified's Tynan DeLong, Mike Daisy, and poet Scott Poole. We'll be right back. Welcome back to LiveWire. I'm just saying that if you really cared about my feelings... If I didn't care, I wouldn't be here arguing about them. There you go again, interrupting me. You interrupted me first. Only after you interrupted me before that. Unbelievable. And now you're yelling right on schedule. I yell to be heard over your interrupting. I have to interrupt your angry diatribes if I ever want to get a word in. You're the one who said deep down you'll always be mad at me. No, I said I'll always be mad about you. Oh, please. (laughs) You know what? I wish we had a tape recorder going so we could play it back and hear what was really said. No, no, you really don't. Sure, we've all made that wish in the heat of a passionate squabble, but a permanent recording of that squabble is just a bad idea. Very, very bad. On a recording, nobody sounds like they think they do. For example, she remembers saying, I feel hurt and disappointed by your behavior. What she really said was... And you never, and you always, and you don't. (laughs) And even though he swears, he said, I hear your words and I take ownership of my actions. What he really said was, Burn the goddamn house up, but pull on me first. Oopsie daisy. Well, remember, in the words of President Richard Nixon, to hell with those damn tape recorders. This free legal advice brought to you as a public service by the law firm of Hanson, Jacobson, Teller, Hoberman, Newman, Warren, and Richmond, now representing Mel Gibson. So if you haven't heard...
heard of Mortified, it's a series started by Dave Nadelberg, in which grown-up people stand on stage in cities all over the country, and they read from their actual journals and poems and songs and letters from high school. I know! They're nights that are at once filled with angst and sometimes deep embarrassment, but mostly laughs. Well, tonight's guest, Tynan DeLong, read from his high school journal at a recent Mortified event in Portland and Los Angeles. Uh, Tynan, according to Tynan himself, he is a comedian and improviser. He was most recently the Grand Marshal Lizard at this year's Lil Burnin' Man, the premier art freak gathering for the five and under crowd. He enjoys skin grafts and pizza. Please welcome Tynan DeLong to Livewire. Hi, my name is Tynan DeLong, and I was raised in Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. Growing up, I was fortunate enough to have an upbringing guided by my mother's warm and compassionate nature. My mother was the sort of woman who would chide me for making fun of the kids that everyone else made fun of, who would get upset if I even accidentally stepped on ants, and who would continue to stuff my stockings with scented bath soaps well into my late teens. But she was also the sort of woman who got me Dr. Dre's The Chronic for Christmas when I was 10 years old. (laughs) And who got me a subscription to Playboy during my sophomore year in high school. (laughs) She was, by all accounts, a truly awesome mom. (laughs) And before I started high school, she got me this journal as a safe place where I could rant and rave about life in general without anybody judging me. It turned out to be a place where I expressed my inner hip-hop gangster rap persona. (laughs) A gangster who, despite his best efforts, never got the girls. I wanted so badly to be a tough guy, a potty-mouthed, rabble-rousing rebel without a pause who made the lady swoon with my pants hanging halfway down my ass. But alas, I was just a sensitive kid at heart. A big softy who could recite any given Wu-Tang Clan lyric at the drop of a hat, but who knew next to nothing when it came to girls. Just a couple notes. Uh, My love of the explicit language and rap music seeped into these entries quite a bit, but since this is public radio, I've obscured the obscenities in such a way that the FCC won't figure it out. Also, throughout these entries, I felt it necessary to notate what I wore and ate each day. (laughs) May 20th, 1996. Today was fat! I gained enough courage to dial the seven digits and Michaela floated my boat. Damn! I like her now, that's good! I'm going to get caught in her funking web. She is extremely beautiful. Oh, my God. I listened to the new Woo Cuts, and they're fat. I got a referral. Funk, that is a load of funking ship. 
I wore Stanford shorts, Nike USA shirt, Arizona hat, and ate steak. Peace, one love. <laughs> March 3rd. Today was okay. They butchered my mother funking article in the register guard. I got a few compliments. I went on a long, cold trip today at the Eugene Downtown Mall. I am supposed to get a porno, but we'll see. <laughs> I wore a Method Man shirt, denim shorts, a Yukon hat, and ate burritos. Peace, one love. <laughs> February 11th. Today was a boring, shippy day. I funking am pissed because I found out that funking Dustin Brandt will be going out with Heather. <laughs> Damn it, I love her. I'm very sad. Video class sucks and I have to type a whole lot of shit. <laughs> Damn it, I love Heather. <laughs> Cherie is fine too. Brandon stepped out as a piece of shit. I love Heather. <laughs> I wore a Tommy polo, wide leg jeans, Florida State hat, a mock neck, and ate lemon chicken. Peace, one love. <laughs> February 12th. Today was I. Let's get to the real subject that matter here. Why do I love Heather Hinkeline so much? Okay, I know I have absolutely no chance, and that's putting it lightly, but I feel like I do with celebs. No chance, but you just don't want to see them with someone. S see, now here's where I run into trouble. Dustin Brandt can eat a d because Brandon said they talked for five hours. I love her. I'll never ever get to go out with her. I feel like Ross on Friends. <laughs> Sappy silent type in the back with a huge crush on the pretty girl. Well, I love her and I love her to death. Her panties were in my hand. I was friends with Heather's brother, Brandon, and I asked him to get me a pair of her panties because I thought that would help things. It did not. I don't know if she hates me or not. That's what I'm gonna ask Brandon tomorrow because I gotta know. I love her and that's all I have to say. I wore a Tommy Hilfiger shirt, gray Dockers, Golden State Warriors hat, and ate casserole. Peace, one love. <clears throat> June 11th. <clears throat> Today was sad and shippy. Took finals and left everybody on the last day of school. Today was it for the summer. Declined a party invite. I am sad. No more girls. I'll miss Rags, Karen, Paige, Katie, Megan, and Michaela. They're gone, and that is very sad. Goodbye, girls.
I wore a Ralph Lauren polo, a Nike hat, and ate KFC. Peace, sad love. December 19th, went to bed at 4 a.m., woke up at 7.30 a.m., tired as funk. <laughs> Paper came out, so there's some ship popping. Concert talk, tests all funking day, damn it. After school, went to the best movie of 97, Titanic. <laughs> Kate Winslet is so fine. Celine Dion song rules. Peace, one love. November 17th, 1996. Someone forgot to turn that charm button on because now I find myself in a single guy stance. Bravely by myself, I sit and reminisce on the two weeks I spent with Stephanie. Yep, we're through. Mutual breakup, no hard feelings, still friends, and it was right for both of us. She wanted somebody who was spur of the moment, and I ain't wit dat. I wore a Charlotte Hornets jersey, UFO hat, ivory dockers, and eight tuna melts. Peace, one love. Thank you. Tying in the long. You're listening to Livewire, the radio variety show that loves you for all your quirks. But it's your short attention span we love the best. If you live in Portland, Mortified will be uh, at the Baghdad Theater on October 7th. For more information, go to getmortified.com. Our next guest has been called the master storyteller by the New York Times, and he is a master of his craft. He's got this journalistic penchant for truth-telling and tireless research, and he uses that to create these monologues that are funny and poignant and actually effing educate you, but without the boring bits. It's like the History Channel, but without that whole like History Channel part. Mike Daisy will be performing his show, The Agony and the Ecstasy of Steve Jobs, at Pika's Time-Based Art Festival. It's a monologue about Apple, industrial design, and the true human cost of our technology. Please welcome Mike Daisy to Livewire. If you are listening to the sound of my voice, then either you are sitting in a theater in front of me in neat, orderly rows, or perhaps you are in your kitchen listening to public radio. Maybe you are in your car rolling through the Oregon countryside listening to public radio. And if you are indeed the kind of person that goes to a public radio event, or you are the kind of person who listens to public radio... You are probably part of my clan, part of my religion. You probably have 
apple products scattered around you like rose petals falling from some beautiful rose, perfectly designed little bits and pieces. Your child has a MacBook. You have a MacBook Pro. Your whole world defined by a kind of brushed aluminum aesthetic. I know, I know, because I am part. That's my religion. I'm part of the cult of Mac. I worship in the house of jobs. I've walked through all the stations of the jobs. I have genuflected at all the places. I mean, I had my time with the Linux heresies, and in the 90s, I uh, slept with a Windows system or two. But aside from that, I've largely been faithful. And... To love Apple is to be a little bit in love with heartbreak. There's something about it because the power of the jobs, he giveth and he taketh away. And Steve Jobs is the master of the forced upgrade. Just when you think everything is working out, when you think all your technology actually is speaking to one another, that it's all actually coherent, then that's when he pulls it out. I remember there was one week in 1999 when I looked at all of my systems and I thought, finally, everything is working together and it has one unified aesthetic. Everything is bulbous and candy-colored. This will never go out of style. I remember how difficult it is to be one of the faithful. Maybe you do too. Maybe I saw you there in the lines for the iPad. Remember when the word went out to all the faithful? A revolutionary product is coming. And after a while, when you've watched Steve Jobs enough times in the keynotes, the hunger reflex, the saliva gathers. Like, oh, I want it. I want to get it. I want to get it. I want to. Oh my God, what is it? You don't even know that you want it until you actually see it, you know? I never knew that I wanted a laptop so thin I could slice a sandwich with it. I didn't know that until I saw it. And then I thought, oh my God, I really want it. I eat a lot of sandwiches. I'd really like to be able to slice them with that laptop. It's so thin. And I was there in that line outside of the Apple stores, which are like unto Mecca to the pilgrims. We stand in line, all of us very introverted, no one talking to one another, everyone just standing. It's coming, it's coming. And the iPad was sort of an ultimate one because no one in that line knew what they were going to use it for. No one. It has become so refined, we're still obeying the call of the jobs. And I got my iPad, <laughs> and I felt that terrible, vicious little thrill, and I brought it home, I brought it home, and I, I, I brought it into the house like it was porn. And I threw it onto the bed, and, and then my, my wife said, are you excited? And I thought, I don't know. I feel weird. Because I opened it. I opened up the box, and it is beautiful. It is beautifully designed. It is the thing I had always wanted. It was a giant iPhone. (laughs) It's just like an iPhone, but really big. (sighs) Revolutionary. And the best feature, there's no phone. I can't tell you how many times I've thought having an iPhone is almost like not having a phone at all. 
this is better. This has no phone and it's bigger. And people would ask me, oh, you have an iPad. What, what, are you, what are you doing with it? And I would have to tell them the truth. I would have to tell them, I don't know. I'm just keeping it and waiting to see what it wants me to do. <laughs> to have fallen so low, to have gotten to a place where my tools are actually telling me what the... I don't have anything else in my life like that. I don't have a blender where I think, oh, you know, what do you feel like doing, blender? Do you want to be in the kitchen? Do you want to be playing? You don't? Okay, well, just let me know. Let me know. Thank you. Mike Daisy. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> that was great, and oddly, I could relate to every single word that you said. <laughs> Um, I think that I'm part of your tribe. Um, you, you, you have been a, a big fan of Apple for, for a really long time. So what was the impetus to, to do this show for you? Well, I'm still a big fan of Apple. Um, the impetus was that I'm deeply obsessed with industrial design uh, because of Apple and Steve Jobs. And I became intensely interested in um, finding out exactly how these things that I love the design of, exactly how they are made. So I traveled to Shenzhen in southern China to uh, find out myself. And you got unprecedented access into these companies, right? I well, mean, well, yes. I mean, to be clear, I took unprecedented access because <laughs> I created fake credentials for myself and lied about who I was. So you claim to be a businessman? Who An American wanted... businessman, yes. Mm-hmm. And you actually got to go into the factories where they make these. Yeah, I went into factories all over Shenzhen to make uh, everything we use. I mean, well over 50% of all the electronics in the world are made by Foxconn, the company that makes uh, almost all of Apple's products. And then throughout Shenzhen, you know, the city that most Americans have never even heard of, uh, that that city, that area, is larger and denser than New York City. It has over 14 million people. There was no one there 30 years ago. And they're all there making all of our stuff. What were some of the things that you saw inside of those factories that were probably disturbing things? Well, I mean, to be clear, uh, um, it's the effect you get when you see uh, they, they say, you know, don't visit the slaughterhouse if you want to enjoy a good steak. So in order to make our electronics, which many of these audience members, I'm sure, have in their pockets, uh, requires dormitory rooms that are 10 foot by 10 foot with 15 or 16 beds in them stacked up like Jenga pieces. Um, it requires people to be kept as serfs, as basically indentured servants whose papers are in the thrall of the corporations that are there. Our corporations, let's be clear. Our corporations, which agree to work with a fascist government run by thugs, they're there doing our work to make us all our stuff. So uh, people working 15, 16 hours a day, people with spinal conditions where they're fusing together uh, because they stand so long at their posts. Stuff like that. So, you saw all this. Yes. Has Steve Jobs seen all this? I don't know. 
Someone should ask him. His email address is sjobs at apple.com. How is this effect? I mean, do, do you still buy Apple products? You know, it's a, it, like all life, I feel like it's, a, it's an interesting problem. All electronics are fundamentally made the same way. There are no electronics that are cruelty-free. So as a consequence, I, um, I haven't had made any major purchases since the trip, which was this last spring, and I'm still negotiating what to do. I feel strange about buying more electronics, but I also recognize that I live in a technological world and I need to move forward. So my way of compensating for that is trying to work within this messaging to talk to people, to let them know about the situation and what it's really like. And hopefully that way I can try to make a, a system that I can live inside of. Right, right. I wanted to talk just briefly um, about your process. People may not know that, that your, your pieces aren't written out ahead of time. Right. Um, you work with an outline. Mm-hmm. Um, what's for you is the benefit of doing that as opposed to just having a script and memorizing a script? Well, the biggest benefit is that I believe when you work with a script, you're fundamentally working with dead words. And then the challenge, and I was an actor once, a traditional actor, is to resuscitate those dead words and make them live again by rehydrating them on stage. However, much like this conversation we're having, these are living words spoken extemporaneously. And I would actually argue that extemporaneous performance is the dominant performance mode of the world. Every teacher performs extemporaneously every time they teach. Every lawyer uses extemporaneous speak when they're speaking. Every stand-up comedian works extemporaneously. It's the way that we all communicate when we tell stories. So I enjoy the mode because it prevents there from being barriers between myself and an audience. I have to actually be present to tell the story, and that's why I tell stories about things I've actually witnessed, so that it has the weight of knowing that I did the research and now I'm here to talk to you about it. Well, and it does allow you to change the story as, as you go along. And this is actually still evolving, and mm-hmm. it's going to open up in 2011. In, is it in Berkeley? Yeah, I mean, effectively, it's open now. I mean, I believe yeah. that the work exists when it exists, but you know how people are. They're like, it's open now. Right. But yes, it'll, it'll run at Berkeley Rep in the Bay Area mm-hmm. during Macworld at, uh, at Berkeley Repertory. Wow. <laughs> That's great. Um, and briefly, um, I wanted to ask you about the 24-hour monologue project. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about what, what that's going to be sure. or is? I'm working on a show, and I have been for the last three years, that's a 24-hour monologue. Uh, it's uh, 24 interlocking monologues, each of which is about 50 minutes long, and it'll be performed by me from 9 o'clock on a Friday to 9 o'clock on a Saturday. And it follows all the time zones of the Earth, and it tells a gigantic, coherent, multi-threaded story about uh, a huge number of topics. In terms of square footage, like, if it was transcribed, it'll be the size of about two Warren pieces. Wow. And when are you talking about performing this? Next fall. Wow. That's quite an undertaking. Yeah, and uh, hopefully if all goes well, it'll actually premiere here at the TBA Festival in Oh, Portland that's fantastic. A year from now. Great. Well, we definitely look forward to that, and we're so grateful to you for stopping by. It's oh. just been wonderful. Well, I, I, it's a delight to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much. Mike Daisy, everybody. That was Master Storyteller Mike Daisy, and you're listening to Livewire Radio. With music, conversation, and laughs, it's like a great date, but without the initial awkwardness and constant internal dialogue about whether or not you're going to end up doing it.
We'll be right back. Welcome back to Livewire. And now it's time for the... Audience Haiku! We've given our audience three subjects on which to expound. High school shame, riot girls, and fall. Faces for Radio Theater have chosen their favorites and will now read them with help from Ralph Huntley. Tonight's audience haiku is brought to you, as always, by New Belgium Brewing Company, this month featuring their Hoptober Golden Ale. Featuring five hops and wheat malt mashed with rye and oats, it's really more like a sandwich than a beer. Mmm, a delicious beer sandwich. Do you know what would be good with a beer sandwich? Beer. (laughs) Perhaps New Belgium's Hoptober Golden Ale. Now it's perfect. Thanks, New Belgium. And now, audience haiku. Let's go... uh, Asian punk. Yeah. I am not a cougar. I am not... A riot girl. I just like Goodwill. <laughs> that was from Heather H. Thank you, Heather. So, Ralph, could I get some um, sentimental, kind of sweet, memory-like music? It's been a while. Since I wrote slut on my arm. Man, I miss those days. Thank you, Joanna. And now from the audience to read his very own haiku, please welcome Jerome. Thank you. Um... Gosh, theme music. Um, something 90s. <laughs> I drink wine coolers. Milli Vanilli is rad. Why don't girls like me? <laughs> Thank you very much, Jerome. And uh, now we have some uh, haiku from our website. Uh, that we've selected some a couple of winners here. Uh, here's, I'll do the runner-up first. Uh, Ralph, can I get something um, hopeful, full of desire, maybe a little, a little tinge of sweetness? 
First date to Livewire. Now married and still in love. Next date, free Livewire? That's from Lisa. Her marriage. Um, now the winner, this is from Gideon. Ralph, can I get something um, hopeful, full of desire, maybe a little tinge of sweetness? God, I hope I win. It would make life worth living. That and fried ice cream. Thank you, Gideon. Just so you know, uh, you can now go to our website and submit uh, a haiku. And if you are read on the air, then you win two free tickets to the shoe. So uh, enter to win, please. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, the Corin Tucker Band.
You're listening to Livewire Radio. If you live in the Portland area, come to our very special 6th Annual Wordstock Extravaganza on October 9th at the Aladdin Theater. Guests include comedian Paul Provenza, author Jonathan Lethem, commentator and humorist David Rakoff, singer and memoirist Kristen Hirsch, and others at the Aladdin Theater in Portland on October 9th. For more information, visit our website at livewireradio.org. And now, as promised, please welcome back Scott Poole. What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. I learned tonight that I want to be able to walk up to stuff and click it. Normal reality is not quite good enough anymore. Like if I could click a Douglas fir just off a 7-Eleven parking lot, what would I be able to link to? Would the feeling be something that would be like a beehive mixed with a pine cone with kind of a Yule Gibbons, I want to eat bark emotion coming from a punk rocker in a borrowed Smokey Bear uniform with one of the furry sleeves missing, slowly sipping the slippery Slurpee? I don't know. What would a Douglas fir link to? Perhaps the Corin Tucker band? If so, it would make me want to march around the Douglas fir in a purposeful manner, rocking hard while I swing an electric baton. That might be something you'd like to click. A video of somebody rocking harder than you've ever seen with an amplified baton. That's a brilliant invention. Finally, the core of wind and time moving past you, amplified so you can hear it. Yes. Flying squirrels would be jumping from the tall evergreen trees in the background in slow motion. And as the baton reaches its zenith, one of the flying squirrels would grab the baton and do a few spins with it, soloing harder, better than Jimi Hendrix, better than the rockinest blonde in the sparkly blue chiffon dress you could think of. And if I could just click you while you're screaming at me for leaving my underwear on the floor, what would you link to? Would I get a video of some point from the history of your life, perhaps from high school in Eugene, Oregon, when you wanted to be a gangster rapper, a female one, and you practiced on your stuffed animals, and you were like, peace, one, love, Teddy. Yo, giraffe, what up, turkey neck? Oh, crap, your stuff is hanging out. Then you cried and ate a pan of casserole while wearing a beautiful blue chiffon dress. (laughs) Then I wouldn't care that you were yelling at me. You would be too beautiful not to love. And why can't I click more stuff? Ever sit in a doctor's waiting room awaiting a full colonoscopy and you're reading a three-year-old article about how to keep your cat happy with a cell phone? I would like to be able to click its sweet little furry cheeks and hear a Mike Daisy monologue that would explain exactly why this is an incredibly stupid thing to do. Yet at the same time, how revolutionary this is. Think about all the centuries there have been cats and cat owners. The ancient Egyptians just had to wave their asps at their cats. And only now, only now in this amazing century, can you wave your phone at your cat. You, Scott Poole, and keep your cat happy for exactly 25 to 37 seconds. That's amazing! But still, it's a pretty stupid thing to do but it might make that colonoscopy a tiny bit happier. Why can't I click more stuff? Can I click you? Thank you. Scott Poole, everybody. That's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for coming out. Our thanks to our guests tonight, Tynan DeLong, Mike Daisy, and the Corin Tucker Band. 
The Mutton Chops were Ralph Huntley, Jim Brumberg, and Dave Jorgensen. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Fitch & Associates, The Falcon Art Community, Willamette Week, and Buchanan, Angeli, Altshul, and Sullivan. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Oregon Cultural Trust, the Miller Foundation, and listeners such as you fine people. Hotel accommodation is generously provided by Hotel Deluxe. Livewire is created and produced by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. Technical production by Jim Brunberg from Mississippi Studios. Recording engineering by Jonathan Newsom. House sound by Jeff Simmons. Special thanks to the Rose City Sound. The Faces for Radio Theater are writers Courtney Hommeister, Tyler Hughes, and Sean McGrath, and performers Laura Faye Smith, Ted Douglas, and Siren of Sound, Pachinowski. Livewire's house poet is Scott Poole. This show's guest writer was the fabulous Jordy Barnes. Production management and lighting by Drew Flint. Theme by Courtney Mondrelli and Ralph Huntley. Craft services by Old Wives Tales. Graphic and web design by Danger Creative. Web development by Amalgamotion. Podcast consulting by Morley Studios. Our operations manager is Adrian Schaefer. Publicity by Cassell Communications. Big thanks to this show go to Joe Colley. Adam East, and the entire staff at the Alberta Rose Theater. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at livewireradio.org. This is Tyler Hughes saying, this next song will be an all-skate. All-skate, followed by Couples Only. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.